This is Canada Talks Archery. Hi, I'm Kelly Taylor and I'm your host. We're here to talk about anything and everything as it applies to archery from compound and recurve to target and hunting. Canada Talks Archery is proud to have PSC Archery as its presenting sponsor. For quality bows for every application, when you want precision shooting equipment, trust PSC Archery. Check out PSC's latest bow, the Shootdown Pro. Contact your local authorized retailer or visit psearchery.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the True Ball Pro-Am, London, Kentucky. Tony Taz, a women's Your third place leader. qualifier from Marsden, Saskatchewan, Canada, representing Hoyt, Aaron McGlattery. And with that, joining us now is Aaron McGlattery. Aaron, welcome to Canada Talks Archery. Hey there, how are you? So we're just coming off a pretty big weekend um, down in London, Kentucky at the uh, ASA uh, tournament. How did that go for you? Yep. Yeah. Well, London's always a tricky one, you know, because of the infamous power lines. But um, honestly, everything's feeling so good and things were clicking so well there. I just feel like I didn't hit enough 12 to make the podium during qualification. So there's there's a little something missing with my game plan. I'm sure we'll get into that later. But um, otherwise, it was good. Can't really be too upset with it. Uh, there's not a lot of things I would change other than game planning during qualification. So yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. So a lot of people mention the power lines, especially in the commentary on the online video. Is it is it the electromagnetic field that uh, that throws people off, or is it the uh, the fact that you're basically walking through tunnels to, uh, to 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 get to your targets? Yeah. The trickiest part is that it's kind of a clear cut in the middle of a um, big patch of woods and so there's hills and there's trees but then they they clear cut this big long lane for power lines and then you shoot in the trees on either side of the power line and the road so you're out there and, and it's always seems like it's so hot and sunny there so it's super super bright and then you step about I don't know anywhere from two to six yards into the trees and so back behind you the backlight is just so so bright and then the targets are in a dark dark canopy and so that's the light that everyone struggles with there. Yeah. Um, and then and then you have to adjust to being in the blazing sunlight when you come out to the shoot down. Yeah. And I think like for me, I'm extremely lucky and blessed that I have really, really great eyesight. But I think for the people who struggle on a normal day with their eyes, that transition from the bright to the dark and just there's no detail on the targets and a lot, a lot of people really struggle there. And sometimes like, if you shoot the morning round at 7.30 in the morning, one of the rounds you're shooting up the hill and you're facing straight into the morning sun. So then you have that open behind you and the sun in your face. So the target just becomes like a silhouette. So you're kind of aiming like, okay, there's the leg. There's, you know, I can see sky behind me. That's got to be mid body and just doing your best. Um, for me, I can normally see better than that. So I'm just super lucky that way. Well, I remember I interviewed Kyle Douglas once, and um, of course, he won the known pro on the weekend. Uh, right. Congratulations to him. Um, and I asked him, I said, what differs for you when you're prepar uh, preparing for a 3D tournament versus a, 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 an indoor target, outdoor target tournament? He says, for 3D, I, I spend most of my time practicing, aiming at something I cannot see. Right. <laughs> so yeah, what, it's what, what's the secret to that? Well... I think the biggest secret is knowing on that target where the rings are without having to look through binos. And, you know, if you could just 
have that target with no rings on the insert and then have to place a sticker on the upper 12 or the lower 12. Like you should shoot the targets enough that you know where those are. So if you're coming in and you've never seen these targets before, London would be extremely difficult because you can't see the rings. You know, I can rarely see the rings when I'm aiming normally. I just know generally where I need to be at. So that's just experience with the targets, 100%. Right, right. And um, now you shoot in the um, Women's Open Pro. So um, you're ranging as well. We are. We're judging the distance. Um, No range finders allowed. And uh, there's all kinds of, (laughs) you know, bicker going back and forth now that there's a couple more known classes. And, you know, it's been kind of, I think it's all in fun. So um, it's been kind of interesting with the new classes. And I totally think there's enough room for all the classes to shoot. So, yeah, it's been it's been kind of funny to watch that all go down. But I've, I've been shooting unknown, you know, really since I started. So sticking with that for now. Yeah. So what are some of your what are some of the secrets to someone who wants to get into unknown and is, you know, obviously practicing ranging um, because there's a few tricks that the organizers will use to to throw you off. Right. Like they'll put a um, uh, a bedded doe behind a, a couple of trees you have to shoot through or. Um, oh, they yeah. might use like a, an infant animal and put it close and you think, oh, well, that's that's, you know, full size bear and that's this far away. So what are some right. of the things that you do to try and get around those kinds of um, I call them tricks, but I guess it's just part of the game, right? Yeah. And that really is the game is, uh, you know, the organizers have fun with it. And it it does make it kind of fun because we'll get up there and and everybody's like, whoa, okay, they really tried to get us here. And are we seeing it right or are we being fooled? That's the hardest thing. So I think, um, you know, something I wish I would have done earlier on is spend a lot more time shooting unknown 3D targets. So what I did when I was first learning is I would get up there. I would judge the target and then I would click it with my rangefinder and then I'd shoot it good, you know? And so what that kind of did for me was I paid less attention to my tendencies because I knew right after I was going to click it and shoot in the middle. Um, I paid less attention than I should have to my tendencies on certain targets, say white targets, dark targets, targets in a tunnel, targets uphill, downhill, in the shade, in the sun, you know, all those things. I really feel if I hadn't had my rangefinder to rely on, I would have learned that faster. So that's one thing I would do is shoot a lot of unknown practice rounds and keep a notebook and make notes. So if you know you make a bad error, you're going to remember it a lot more if you actually shoot that arrow versus if you make a bad error, two seconds later, you click it with a rangefinder and shoot and move on. And I really think you can learn a lot faster if you're truly shooting unknown practice. And then maybe at the end of the day, you walk through um, and click them all. So that's if you have access to targets, which if you're going to try to go forward with unknown, the more and more and more you can see the targets that you shoot in competition the better. Like I can't preach that enough. That's another thing that if I could do it all over, I would take out a loan and get more targets and spend more time with the targets because then, you know, if you shoot those targets 
30 times before you go to a tournament, you are so much better off than if you're just shooting only at, you know, target butts and just judging ground or trees or whichever. Like the more time you can get with the targets, the better. So it sounds like um, one of the messages behind what you just said is um, learn your lessons the hard way. Honestly, yes, because that way, you know, if you go out there and you shoot five practice courses and you shoot the white mountain goat, you know, six yards low every single time, you're not going to forget that. But if you go and walk a range and you judge it and, you you know, you miss five yards off and you click it and then you and or you just click it and then shoot you're probably going to forget that pretty quickly because it didn't sting as bad as it would have if you see your arrow die as it's going. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Or if you have to spend the next five minutes looking for your arrow behind the target. <laughs> yeah, you're going to learn a lot faster and make those adjustments. And I feel like it forces you to figure it out. So that's one thing that I've only recently started doing is really start to kick the rangefinder out and work harder on figuring out how to stay in the 10 ring in practice. Right, right. So um, what are some of the uh, differences with the ASA game? Um, you know, I mean, obviously the targets are a little bit different. You've got the uh, the 10 ring and then the two 12s. And um, if, you, if you shoot the bottom 12 without calling anything, you get 12. Um, if you call the, the upper 12 and you hit the bottom 12 you only get 10 um what is the strategy there because i on the on the convert on the conversation that they were having with the commentary on the weekend is that some archers find it easier to shoot the top 12 yes so the strategy i would say is so individual it's kind of all over the place but I would say um, the difference between, you know, say what we shoot in Archery Canada or in the IBO is that aiming center 10, you've got space to miss that, you know, that 11 ring or that center 12. You've got room to miss high or low and stay in the 10 ring. Well, now when you're aiming at the 12 rings, there's no space. If you miss the 12, the upper over it or the bottom under it, if you miss by a 16th of an inch, you're an eight. So all of a sudden, that's, you know, sometimes depending on your bow speed and all that, that could be not even a yard off and you're missing, you're shooting an eight. And so it gets to be a really uh, dangerous game when you're shooting unknown yardage, especially, but even in the known, honestly, you have a little bobble or a, you know, you break a little bit off, you're, you're going to be an eight. So way riskier game. Um, strategy wise, I think it's really comes down to whichever 12 you feel like you can aim better at. Um, there was a time when only lower 12s were in place. So I know a lot of the people who've shot ASA for many years stick with the lowers because they're used to it. Um, for me, the upper 12 ring is often a lot more visible just because it's up higher on the target. So the lighting, I can usually see it better. And um, I think for most people, they just go with whichever tendency. You know, if they tend... If they're going to make maybe a bad shot and if they miss low, they'll probably aim at the uppers. Or if they if their bad shots are generally high, they're probably going to aim at the lowers because maybe they don't miss low often. I think, um, you know, it, it really just depends. Um, some people will shoot 
upper on some targets, lower on the other. I, generally, the people who have targets and spend a lot of time with them, I think will shoot, 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 and then decide which is the best game plan. And that's what I was talking about earlier is like, for the ASA, it takes way more game planning and strategy than any other game where you aim in the middle, basically. Right, right. And um, I mean, you want to at least catch the 10 range. But if you look at some of the scores from the weekend, like Kyle Douglas went into the shoot down 50 up. Right. Um, you, you need to be hitting 12s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And really in the ASA, it doesn't matter honestly what division you shoot you could not shoot safe and be at the top you just can't like you have to be hitting 12s and so that's the hardest part about it especially if you started out only shooting mid like center 10 kind of games um because you're really aiming at you know an inch away from the eight so <laughs> it, it can be a, um, a lot more stressful and there's a lot more decision making whether you're shooting known or unknown you have to make good decisions decide which targets you're maybe going to aim safer on which ones you're going to aim aggressive you know just to try to get to the shoot down in the classes it's just it, it's a whole different game it's like two separate events you know in track and field is what i would say like aiming middle versus aiming at 12 rings it's just two different worlds right right and then once you get to the shoot down, that, that's when it gets really interesting because the 14 ring comes into play. And of course, right. you know, less than an inch away from the 14 ring is a five. Yeah. And so that's when, you know, you just got to evaluate risk and reward. What are you trying to accomplish? How do you feel about your shot, the wind, your distance? You know, there's just so many things. And so you just have to make good decisions and and try to come into the shoot down in a good position. That's the biggest thing. When you're coming into the shoot down in fifth and you have no choice but to try to gain some ground, you know, hitting hitting bonus rings in the shoot down isn't always easy. Right. And we saw that sort of play out in the known pro division um, when, um, you know, Justin Hanna went in in first place and then ended, you know, not even on the podium. Right. And, oh. and like in that division, you just can't afford – to miss those rings and then you have you know austin taylor kyle douglas and all those guys that are out there just hammering bonus rings and i mean i feel bad for justin losing that lead but you just there's no room to um shoot eights at all yeah yeah and um you know i mean it was the 14s that that moved uh, austin you know i have to sort of you know admit that he's my son um <laughs> But it, it was the 14s that moved him into third place. And, uh, you know, that's a difference of a couple thousand dollars. Well, that's the thing. Like, that was just some risky moves, especially on the long shot. You know, like, that's that's um, not easy to do, especially when you're under pressure. And you're outside. There's elements, you know, there's sun, wind, everything else that's always outside. So it's not uh, it's not an easy game, but it sure is fun. Yeah, yeah. Um so one of the things that's happened in ASA is the introduction of the known categories for both genders. Um, and, and we've seen uh, a number of, of people come into the into the game that, that weren't there before. So that's helped grow the game a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think for the people who are um, extremely busy shooting other events or just with other things in life and who truly just don't... Um, 
feel like they have the time to be competitive judging. Like, if you look at the top, you know, let's say even top eight people in each of the unknown divisions, those people have been doing it for a long, long time. Generally speaking, there's there's not a lot of brand new people who come in and get to that level where they can feel competitive in the unknown categories. And I think that's what scares people from jumping right into those. Um, so maybe, you know, I've seen people start in known and then they, they think, oh, well, now that I've kind of got the hang of shooting these targets and how this all works, I'm going to start judging, you know, and so or the other way around. They judge and judge and judge and then they kind of get... Um, excited about just shooting and and knowing how far they are and they switch so i've seen all kinds of people switching back and forth um trying different things and i just think it's nice that you have the option you know if you're intimidated by judging and you want to try 3d start out with known and then maybe you'll want to try unknown and figure out which one you like best you know they're they're really two separate games and so i think it is fun that people can try out both and decide which one they like best right and um you know as you mentioned just before we started, um, there's room on the dance floor for everyone. Exactly. Which is uh, which is one of the great things. Now we're starting to see uh, some ASA series rise in in Canada, which is pretty exciting. Um, they've got right. Going next door to you in Alberta, that uh, we've had a few people from Manitoba go, and I'm sure they've drawn from Saskatchewan and BC as well. So hopefully we can see that grow, and um, I think. Um, I think the key thing is going to be, you know, can you start to generate enough interest that you're paying out some cash prizes as well? Yeah, that's the thing. And I do think it will grow in Canada because it's a completely uh, different game. You know, yes, it's still shooting 3D. But like I said, the whole strategy of that game is different. And it's not something that a lot of people have had the chance to do. So I think just being able to try out something new, um, give it a go you know see what it's all about that's the exciting part and i do think it will grow it would be nice for sure if it could get to the point where you know there is a little bit of prize money even if it's just enough to pay for your weekend right right so um where do you see the um the 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 status of women in archery uh going um we, we've seen you know some some pretty amazing results uh you know, between Paige Pierce and Ella Gibson, um, uh, Tanya Galantine, uh, all sorts of uh, all sorts of really excellent performances. Um, is that going to attract more people into it? Yes. And I think we have seen both of the women's divisions in the last couple of years um, continue to grow. And I think what's nice is that the level of play, even since I started, like say in the last six years, the level of play of the women has gotten so, so high um, that I do feel like the value of the female professionals has gone way up. Um, so that makes it a lot more motivating, you know, for younger shooters to want to turn professional because now there's pretty great prize money you know you can there's a few girls making a living doing it it's not like nobody's out there um making a living which is kind of exciting you know for the young people because i from what i understand years ago uh the women were nowhere near the contingency that they are 
now. So that's pretty exciting that there is money to be won. Um, I think it still has a long ways to go, but we have seen growth, you know, even in our class. But I think as the level of play increases and more and more ladies start shooting, I think it will continue to grow. Yeah, and, and you know, let's just um, uh, explain things to, uh, to people who may not know. There's there's the prize money that you might get for winning the tournament, um, but if you are aligned with particular manufacturers, they will also, some of them will also uh, give contingency money uh, based right. on your uh, uh, standing on the podium. And, and, and pretty much you have to be on the podium to get contingency money. Yes, correct. And so that is the majority of like that's the largest portion of what shooters are shooting for if you're shooting the pro division is the manufacturer contingency and now that's the the biggest payouts are from the manufacturers of bows but also like the site companies arrow companies strings everything you know it's getting to the point where a lot of companies have contingencies and a lot of those smaller entities for arrows and all that are paying the men and women equal contingency which is super cool yeah um you know it's interesting i i had a chat with chris schaff in iowa one day and um i think he had recently switched over to hoyt and um someone else said was switching over i think that was when dudley was switching to pse and, yep. and and I, I said to him i said so when you guys switch companies is that you is it that you found a better bow or is it that you found a better deal and he said basically it's a better deal right yeah and for the most part that is true i would say like definitely every archer is doing what's you know in their best interest and where they feel like they can perform the best whether you know they might shoot one bow better than the other and take a little bit lesser contract to shoot the bow they like better i would say just because then you know if you're winning it makes up for maybe money that you gave up in a contract or something like that. But for the most part, the archers really do need to do what's best for them because at the end of the day, um, the amount of money that most of the archers are making isn't like enough to uproot your life for. Right. And that's just the reality of it right now. Right. I mean, even Kyle Douglas, who's tearing it up on in practically every competition he, he shoots, um, he still runs an archery shop. Right. He's still got a day. Yeah. So. And I would say 95% of all the pros work, you know, in some, you know, in a different form or the other, maybe not full time, but there's not many that are doing archery full time. So it, the nice part is you can do the sport and, and pretty much shoot a full schedule and work as well. Although it becomes, you know, at times exhausting but it's still doable and some other sports it's just not an option you know right right so um now about your style um so in the last podcast i i interviewed uh, dean thornton uh, okay really great guy uh i think everyone likes likes dean um, he, <laughs> he, he he describes himself as an explosive shooter like he okay. he, he really likes to pull on the bow and and you can mm -hmm. see it in the follow through, not only in his release arm, but also in his bow arm going forward. Right. Uh, what, what's your style? So I also shoot a fairly strong shot. Um, 
it's somewhat explosive, but I um, work my hinge with finger pressure as well. So I don't shoot a trigger anymore. I shoot a hinge, but I'm not just pulling and pulling, pulling max effort until it goes off. I'm just pulling enough and keeping tension, you know, through the front end, just enough to keep the bow at full draw. And then from there on, I'm just relaxing through my hand and making that release rotate. And so what I found is I'm able to hold steadier that way than if I'm pulling max effort. Um, so I'll get my body really strong, you know, off the range, like in the gym and stuff, so that I do feel like I'm able to shoot strong and not overwork my shoulders and whatnot shooting the bow, uh, just for the longevity of my body. <laughs> so I, but I shoot strong. I hold about 17 pounds on the back end. I've shot all the way up to 23 and, and down to 11 and 17 just seems to be a comfortable amount of holding weight for me. And I actually, I just recently, I normally shoot a, a fairly heavy bow in terms of stabilizer weights. And recently I just took seven ounces off just to give my, my shoulder a little break and see how I do with a lighter bow. So playing around with those kind of things, um, you know, allows me to work on my shot and shoot a ton of arrows without getting injured too. So well, and that's that's one thing that a lot of people have to understand too, is that you have to find out what works for you. you know, right. Um, leaning back 25 degrees like Chris Schaff does probably doesn't work for everybody, but it works for him. Right. You know, right. Uh, having having 50 pounds of stabilizer weight on your bow like Austin does works for him. It's not going to work for everyone. Right. And like sometimes you just need to adjust, you know, things happen and life happens and our bodies age. And, you know, sometimes you do need to make changes just for the longevity of it and and to keep going forward. Or maybe something you've been doing for a long time isn't the best for you. You know, like it just is so individual and there's so many different things you can play around with to test that um, I think just slowly, slowly making adjustments and trying new things is just it takes a lot of time to figure out what really works for you. And then what really works for you with one setup might not work for you with the next setup. So then you got to start over and, and to really, really get and, you know, to the top or reach your potential. It really does take, I would say quite a few years to, 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 you know, to try different things and make tweaks with your form and your equipment and, um, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> and, and it really is a situation of trial and error. I mean, you make this adjustment, see how it works. Well, it didn't right. work so, good, so let's go back to this one and then we'll try this adjustment and exactly. just keep going until you start to get like, you know, really tight groups or, you know, you're consistently hitting that 12. Exactly. And like, because, you know, yes, the bows are sort of machines but they're really not because they're still so dynamic you know when that shot fires the strings and everything everything's moving so much and our bodies are moving that it's really dynamic and and the bow can be really reactive to what you're doing or really not reactive you know in terms of forgiveness and so that's something that just takes a long time to even wrap your head around um, and understand and you have to be shooting at a level that's high enough to tell whether your bow is forgiving or not. And so that's something that also just, it, it just takes time. Archery is one of those sports that just, you know, it takes quite a while to really, really get to that level where you can understand what's going on with you versus what's going on with your equipment. Right. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, Aaron, what's next for you? 
So I have this weekend off. Um, I don't have a tournament. So I am swapping my stuff over to my IBO setup today. That gives me a week to practice and kind of get things dialed in with that. And then I will head over to Pennsylvania for the next leg of the IBO um, next week. All right. Well, good luck. And um, hopefully we'll see you on the circuit at some point. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Aaron McLattery, thank you for being on Canada Talks Archery. Thanks, Telly. Okay, very good, Aaron. Thank you very much. I'm just going to turn the recording off now. Sure. For this segment, we're joined with uh, Jamie Brayhall, who from the uh, Archery Alberta ASA Tour Director, and Nathan Fleet, who is an archer um, participating in the ASA Tour and uh, host of the second leg, uh, which is occurring on in uh, Edmonton this weekend, June 25th. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Nice to nice to be here, Kelly. All right, so Jamie, what? Um, let's start with you. Let's go into how the ASA Tour in Alberta came to be. Well, it's been talked about for quite a few years um, with a lot of the, a lot of the archers. Um, we kind of sat back and, you know, uh, after COVID was kind of clearing up and um, decided that we, we needed to do something. We used to have a, a tour in Southern Alberta. And that seemed to work good back in the day. And um, a lot of people were asking for something a little bit different. Um, our numbers um, for, for 3D archers in Alberta had fallen off quite a bit. Um, so we decided that we need to do something. Um, so I kind of wrote up a proposal and, uh, luckily enough, um, the Archie Alberta board was fully, you know, supporting it. And, uh, yeah, we kind of got that in March and I had till end of May to get a bunch of targets in and yeah, it's kind of started off. Uh, we did it one full year, um, had five, five shoots and it was pretty successful last year. And the numbers are already trending up. Um, like our first target or our first uh, competition was in Medicine Hat this year. Last year we had 80, 82 or 83 shooters. Um, this year um, we're over 120. So we see an increase there and that's what we want. And um, it seems that the archery communities in Alberta and some of the other provinces um, have been standing behind it and uh our numbers are are way up i don't have them exactly in front of me but i did hear we have over 800 3d shooters now from the 200 so um that's that's been a great thing well nothing succeeds like success um so yeah let's, let's go through where all the uh the tournaments are being held the first one was in medicine hat the one coming up yeah. is in edmonton where's the next one uh, the next one will be Lac Le Biche. Um, I'm sure 3D shooters know uh, Rene and his uh, group up there. Um, then we'll be traveling over to Hinton. they got an excellent facility over there. Um, and then we'll be going down to uh, Sundry area um, with the kettles. And, yeah, they, they all have our PSC Classic at the end um, there. So, no, it's uh, we got a lot of clubs and um the one thing we wanted to do especially after covid um is get people back but you know covid hurt a lot of clubs um the these these people are volunteers 
um, when when they couldn't have shoots. That's where the majority of their funding was. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of clubs were skip, skeptical um, from the start. But, uh, you know, after we had that first year, we started seeing a lot of those funds go back uh, to the clubs. So um, that's what Archer Alberta is here for, is to have strong clubs, which are full of archers and, and uh, yeah, start start getting it going. Yeah, so obviously it's uh, it's worked out for you. Now let's talk a little bit about the differences between the ASA uh, game and you know maybe a, a World Archery 3D game. I mean, we know that there's the um, uh, the scoring rings look kind of similar, but um, you got the high twelve, low twelve, uh, everything in that big circle is ten, and then you got that weird one sort of way out in the middle of nowhere that's a fourteen. So let's, yeah. what, what, what makes it so much fun? Maybe Nathan, you could weigh in on this. What makes it fun is it's a, there's more risk and reward with it. So those rings, you have the 12s, they're on the edge of the 10. They're not in the middle anymore, like our, what we're used to in Canada, the IBO format. So having those rings on the edge, you're, you're playing with the eight line there and the eight ring. Uh, and then the one way out in the middle, the 14, that one's in the shoot-offs and you see... At the medicine hat shoot, we had a lot of them. Um, and then there, you either shoot a five or an eight if you miss it. So you got uh, either a really good score or not so great. Yeah. And where you end up in the shoot down is uh, kind of di- dictates what strategy you have going into it with the 14 ring, right? I mean, if you're, if you're 20 points ahead uh, in the lead, you just want to keep hitting uh, 10s and 12s. But uh, if you're in fifth place and you got to move up a little bit, you really have no option but to go for the 14. Yep. And it's um, it's almost similar on the actual course itself when you're doing your qualifying. Uh, there's a lot of course management, um, which you don't really deal with in the IBO world. You just kind of aim in the middle and hope you get as many 11s as you can. Um, but with the ASA stuff, especially here in Canada, where our ranges aren't flat, it's very hard to find flat areas in Canada. Um, so come to Manitoba, we'll give you flat. (laughs) Yeah, not over here. Um, so shooting up and downhill, you got to really play your angles and stuff and aiming on the edge of that 10 ring. So there's a lot of course management involved with the the ASA side that you didn't have before with IBO. Right now you're running, um, kind of the same categories as, the ASA tour does in the States, right? You've got your K50, you've got your women's K50, uh, which, you know, if you're uninitiated, that stands for known, which means they can use range finders. Uh, but you also have an open category, right? Yeah, yeah. No, we did open as well. Um, we're, we limited the categories versus ASA. I know um, everyone kind of knows there's lots of category, categories down there, uh, but, you know, there's also a lot of people. So we, we were able to... Uh, kind of focus on some key groups. Um, the one that has been really happy is that hunter class. And going back to you know this being a game, it, it's also um, Nathan. Nathan alluded to that you, you got to have a strategy. Um, and I've heard from a lot of the hunters that this is making them better because when they're out there and that big buck's there, they have to make decisions quickly. And, and doing this ASA and being able to shoot at the 12s and, and making those decisions kind of quick is helping them actually when they're hunting. So, um, yeah, it, it's we have those classes. Um, and, yeah, no, it's been good. 
Yeah. So just to clarify for the target, so you got the the, the ten ring, um, and then you got the twelves on like sort of right on the edge of it, right? So if you if you hit the top twelve a half an inch high, you might hit an eight. If you hit the bottom one yeah. a half an inch low, you might hit a five. And you also have to call those those twelves. So your your bottom twelve is always in play. Um, if you want to shoot for the upper twelve, you have to call it before you pull back your bow. Um, so yeah. Um, sometimes you might have a couple arrows in there. Um, so you have to shoot the upper 12. Um, so it, th there's a game within the game, I almost say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of the strategy comes down to um, sometimes when you're at the stake and you're looking at the target, what can you see better, right? Can you see the upper 12 better or can you see the lower 12 better? Or can you make out sort of some distinguishing features on the target that would help you uh, put your pin where it needs to be. Exactly. And, you know, distance wise, um, you know, everything like that, like this year, um, Nathan could probably talk about it, but I wanted to, everything to kind of be, you know, the same, like I can't control weather or, or light and dark. Um, but we were able to do three courses that whether you go to the first ASA or the fifth, um, all those targets will be on, that exact same course and they got a five yard variance. So that's one thing we've always found in 3D, you know, you go to one course and it might be super simple. One course is super hard. This way we're able to consistently uh, give, give good product to, to each archer at each location as well. Yeah. And it sounds like um, the ASA game is helping bring in a lot of people to the sport as well especially with the addition of the known categories, because you have, you know, sometimes you have kids, they don't want to lose arrows. Um, sometimes you have archers who, um, you know, they're into the target game. They haven't spent a lot of time learning how to judge. So they'd rather just know, hey, that one is 37 and a half yards. Absolutely. Um, I know in the known game, we've, we've, we've seen that grow quite a bit. Um, I, I still want to say though, um, the, the unknown game's still there. There's still people that want to shoot it. Um, one thing we have in Canada, our, our number size isn't as big, but we're working on that. Um, so, you know, um, we, we can't have all the categories, but I, I definitely do not want to see the unknown game die away. Um, I can't shoot it. I've tried really, really hard. Spent a couple of years practicing it. My internal rangefinder is broken. So I... When, when I see those guys shooting, I'm almost in awe because it's a different – we're all shooting bows. That's what I've always said. As long as someone's out shooting a bow, I don't care what discipline is. I don't care what bow it is. I don't care, you know, what arrows they're shooting. As long as they're out enjoying the sport, um, that, that's all I really care about. But, yeah, it's we have seen a big uptick in, in known. Um, and, yeah. It's uh, it, it's just been been great so far. Well, you know, it's amazing when you see interviews with some of the pros down south. Um, you know, and and you know maybe PJ Riley and and Chris Perkins are, are talking about a target, and um, they're they're trying to figure out how far away it is, and um, you know maybe it's Dan McCarthy instead because Dan McCarthy shoots unknown, you know, and he'll he'll say to um. He'll, he'll say to the interviewer, he'll say, that target looks like it's 49.2 yards away. 
And then the interviewer puts the scope, the rangefinder on it, and it's 49.2 yards away. And it really is a skill because the, you know, organizers will do all sorts of things to try and um, mess up your internal rangefinder, as you put it, right? Like they'll put it behind yeah. trees, they'll put it, um, you know, down a hill or um, in the shade, all, all those sorts of things that can really affect how you, how you judge. And the only way I think you learn how to judge, I talked to Aaron McLattery about this, is, um, you know, if you want to learn how to judge, put the rangefinder away and learn the hard way, you know, by picking up yeah. arrows. Um, if you, if you cheat on it, um, it's, it's, it's a shortcut, but it doesn't really give you the, um, the lesson learned the hard way approach. Exactly. No. I shot unknown for eight years um, and then went away from competing as a whole, came back and there was a known class and just went straight to it because it is a skill you have to pick up and you lose it and it takes time and it's a whole other factor. So, um, and it's, it's, it's kind of going back to like in every sport you have it, like Wayne Gretzky, you know, his office was behind the net. Not, not everybody can do it. Um, but, yeah, you, you you have different things within archery. Um, but I always say once once you really settle down to the core of it, we're all archers. Um, doesn't matter target, 3D, um, field, um, known, unknown. Um, you know, we're, we're one big family. I know I had... Jay here or Jay Salo come up from PSE um, to our oilman shoot. And that's one thing he said, I was surprised at how close the Canadian archers are. Um, I know with, with my camp, it's always, you know, doors wide open, come on in and we'll treat you like family. And um, That's what I'm really proud of is being Canadian. Our, our actual archery itself is we're one big family. Hey, as long as you're bending a bow, you're friends to us, right? Exactly. So how has this worked out in terms of uh, seeing the numbers increase last year to this year? Um, in the like, ASA like Tour. Like I said, in the ASA Tour, like I know our membership has been up, like I said earlier. Um, but yeah, after the first shoot, we basically had over 40 more archers. Um, we also added one class. Um, non-competitive class, um, so you can come out, try it. Um, if you want to just come shoot with your friends, you can do that. Um, I know one thing after COVID that I really wanted to bring back was, you know, getting out there, shooting with different people. Um, if I never shot with some people in the sport, um, I wouldn't have the friends I have. Like, I'm still in contact with your son. <laughs> um, and if I never would have shot target that day with him, we would have never talked. Um, and, uh, no, we've had fun times in Vegas, you know, practicing and talking. And um, that's one thing I wanted to bring back. We we kind of, you know, and we also have stuff on the line. We, we have belt buckles this year. Um, there's some good good uh, money there. We were able to secure some um, some contingency this year. Um, so, but, but the biggest thing about splitting up the groups and kind of shooting in these categories just to get to know people, I, I know out here um, we have the super senior female 
and the fe- and then the senior female. Uh, the super seniors decided to shoot with the seniors, um, just just so they could get around more people and you know have more competition. But I tell you what, if you come to one of these shoots and you hear yelling, screaming of excitement, <laughs> you know it's the senior women. I, I, I know uh, Nathan had to let down a couple times on the course because <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the the senior women ahead of us were having so much fun. So, you know, I know at the start, a bunch of them said, well, I don't want to shoot with this person or I want to shoot with this person. It was more, I want to shoot with this person, this person, this person. Um, and we kind of said, well, we're going to put you, you know, in your groups. And I know even after the first tournament, I was getting told you have to put us together again. We had so much fun. <laughs> so um, that that's not going to be everyone. Um, but um, I have seen, you know, especially after COVID, there was a lot of archers that, you know, didn't want to get out there. And, uh, you know, this is one way. Like, I, I can just see in the camps afterwards. That's one thing I know about 3D is, is a little bit different target because, you know, target indoors, you kind of go to your hotel rooms and, you know, go there but um when we're out camping i i probably like if we took archery out of it and we just got together for camping that's that's my biggest enjoyment um that's where the the most fun actually comes is sitting down and not talking archery with these people and getting to know their life stories and you know um yeah that's that's one thing we found is is the that's the the fun of bringing this back and 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 having having everybody get together so you're getting a good mix of people aren't you you're getting like you said the super seniors and you know probably people are behind them on the course going hey next time i want to shoot with them right uh but you're also getting like uh uh, people your age uh older men younger younger shooters uh, a wide variety of people so it's. I think it, this is a great thing that that you're doing in Alberta. That's really going to help grow the sport, and and hopefully we can, uh, you know, encourage other provinces to uh, to follow your lead. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a lot of provinces reach out to me, um, on, on how to do this and stuff, and they could continue to do that. Um, but if you do go to our Archer Alberta page webpage, and look under ASA, um, you'll kind of see what we're doing. Um, we also have a, the, one of the bigger things that I've seen come out of this. I uh, my wife will be mad at me about talking about this, but <laughs> I spent a little bit of money on camera equipment, and more than once, um, and, and we were able to do a live event, um, uh, permitting that we have enough coverage there. Um, but yeah, we were able to do a live event and. Yeah, we had more than 10,000 people actually watch that event. So now we're able to share this um, with our family and friends. Um, and, and that's what I noticed. Um, we're doing a live bo- broadcast. Uh, we're able to show everybody um, what we do. And hopefully it translates into them saying, hey, you know what? That looks like fun. We're going to go out. And you know what? Uh, this younger generation is very much... They, they're more, hey, if I can see it, I might want to do it um, versus just hearing about it. So it sounds to me as though um, there's a pretty good marketing lesson here uh, from your experience for other provinces that might be thinking about this. 
you know, to hit that certain generation, you need to show people what it's about, not tell them what it's about, right? With the videos and, and coverage of the event. Okay, so before I wrap it up, was there anything you wanted to add? In Alberta, we allow anyone to come here, any any Archery Canada member, um, any provincial member, you can come on out. Um, we the, the belt buckles are for everybody. Um, so we have our, our tools, tour stuff, and then we got some money at the end. Um, but the biggest thing is come out and just have fun. With the provinces, I have four BC, eight Saskatchewan, three Manitoba, and then one American for the next one coming up. Okay, yeah. gentlemen, thanks very much for being on Canada Talks Archery. I just want to say congratulations. That's a great thing you're doing to help grow, the one, the archery game in Canada, but also the ASA game. Um, the partnership with Archery Canada, I think, is uh, is working well. And if, if your province is the best indicator of that, congratulations. Thank you for doing this podcast. Um, that's going to push everyone else to do some more of this stuff, too. So thank you for taking your time and doing it. Okay, Jamie Brejo and uh, Nathan Fleet, thanks for being on Canada Talks Archery. Thank you for being with us for another episode of Canada Talks Archery. I'm Kelly Taylor. Thank you to our sponsor, PSE Archery. Remember, check out their latest bow, the Shootdown Pro. Contact a qualified retailer or check out psearchery.com.